Welcome to the Sacred Goals Podcast, where you'll learn how to hit your sacred goal by destroying patriarchy and trauma-related neural pathways in your brain. These techniques have helped my clients double their income, finally fall in love, and easily land their dream job. Let's go. Okay, hi everybody. Welcome back to the podcast. I am super excited to have Brooke Warner, who is a writing coach and a writer and someone who I was introduced to through her um, a presentation she did about women writing memoir and how the patriarchy really impacts that process and impacts how women's works are judged and seen and what's quote unquote allowed and not allowed. And so it was a presentation that actually hit me very deeply. It was a a healing experience because for me, because so many of the topics that were brought up in that presentation, I was like, I have that and I am, you know, writing a memoir. It's not at the forefront of my life right now, but there are many, many words in a word doc somewhere. (laughs) Um, And it was like so many things in that presentation spoke directly to me. And the fact that there were like 500 people on that call and so many people in the comments who are resonating really made me feel like I wasn't alone and I wasn't broken and I wasn't stupid for having all of these challenges. And so, yeah, I, w- I want to talk about it. I want to share it with all of you who are listening because I think this is really powerful stuff. So, um, yeah, but but what I want to start with, Brooke, is a little bit more about you and how you got into writing and coaching writing and to hear a little bit of that story and then we'll dive into. Yeah, thanks, Bryn, and thank you for attending that webinar, too. I also thought it was incredibly healing for me, even though I'm immersed in this space. It's not very often that it's such a big group of women having a singular conversation about what it's like to be a woman writer, and that was what I thought was so powerful about that um, that time that we had together, and my journey you know, I I am a writer and a writing coach, obviously, but first and foremost, I'm really an industry professional, you know, like I got into this by starting in the book publishing industry in 2000. It was my first job out of college. Mm -hmm. I was an editor. uh, And I feel lucky that I stumbled in some ways into book culture. I mean, I always liked books, and I always was a big reader. um, But you know, I didn't know what I wanted to do after college. And so that book publishing found me was very serendipitous. Um, And so, you know, my, my primary background is that I've worked in the publishing industry for all of these years, you know, for 22 years, and I have my own publishing company, and I'm a writing coach. And so I have 13 years of experience in the traditional publishing industry. And that really informs my journey, because I understand the challenges that writers face in getting published. I understand some of the, I guess I want to say hypocrisies of the publishing industry around what gets published and what doesn't. Uh, I'm pretty immersed in the world of non-traditional and indie publishing now, which I think is a really important landscape, uh, you know, or I should say part of the landscape of the larger publishing world. And so I'm also just a really big advocate for writers writing and writers publishing. Um, And then I have, you know, that sort of encapsulates all that I do because I also teach memoir, you know, and I also uh, help publishers think about publishing. And and so it's a mosaic, but it's all interconnected by my understanding of the current state of the publishing industry. Yeah. And you're such an insider, right? Like in the sense that years, (laughs) you know, I think for those of us who are writers and I haven't published like a full, you know, a a book. 
to think about it, it's like it feels overwhelming or I don't know how to do it or is it even worth it to try, you know, all of those thoughts go through right my head. And so I imagine, yeah, having you as a coach, it's like, oh, she can tell me what, you know, not exactly what's going to happen, but what's worth the effort, what's not worth the effort. And yeah, and most of the authors that are writers turned authors that I work with are pretty intent about getting published. I think that I tend to draw that kind of person, not to say I wouldn't work with someone who wasn't sure if they wanted to publish. And I think all memoirists aren't really sure until their books are basically at the printer because it's such so scary to be so vulnerable with your own personal story. But um, I, I think because I have the publishing background, I, I prefer to work with writers who at least think they want to get their work published because I think it sets it up on a little bit of a different level than simply, you know, this is a legacy project that I'm doing for my kids or just because. And I, I think deep down, sometimes writers and especially women can have a difficult time admitting, you know, or confessing that they want accolades or success or, you know, to Influence. be seen. Yeah. Yeah. In all of that stuff. Yeah. yeah. Power. Exactly. That that's important. You know, and I, I think sometimes we're, you know, again, it kind of comes back to our conditioning around what we're allowed to claim. Yeah. Yeah. So we're kind of getting into it already. So let's talk about what do you see as the challenges that women writers face? And when we were talking before we hit record, it's like this could be even if you're, you know, writing social media posts to promote your business or writing a full, you know, right. a full book. But what are the challenges that you see, you know, within, you know, with all of all of this wisdom you have from your time in the industry and then working with writers. Yeah. I mean, I wrote this book called write on sisters a couple of years ago, really as an attempt to try to lasso all of my thoughts about this. Cause there's a lot, you know, women struggle with a lot of things sometimes because it's imposed upon us by the culture and sometimes because it's our own self getting in our own way, mm -hmm. you know, and, and, and there's, and so there are legitimate uh, double standards, right? I mean, women get criticized for putting their work out into the world and people criticize us, you know, they criticize who we are as people. Whereas oftentimes when men write, the thing that gets criticized is the actual writing itself. You know, it's not an attack on their character as it so often is for women. So I think that's one thing and it can sting, right? It can feel scary to put yourself out there. And then if there is an attack, you know, even if it's only one or two things that are in a sea of positive comments, we can tend to pick those things out and it can feel really scary. Um, you know, so when we're putting our personal work into the world, I mean, there's a million things that come up. Imposter syndrome is certainly one of them, right? I mean, women struggle with that, I think, dispro disproportionately feeling like we, you know, aren't worthy or haven't yet arrived or shouldn't. I think that women can oftentimes be more protectors, you know, of the family story. And so mm. people will say, you know, how dare you tell that? Or maybe you've been told that you can never tell, you know, there's a lot of women tend to be victims more often than not. Right. And if you're the victim of an abuse or, you know, something else that happened to you, then perhaps your perpetrator or even someone in your family system said, don't tell, you know, that this is not allowed or we're going to be seen as, you know, bad parents or whatever the case might be. And then you're carrying that burden and it's not really your burden. You know, it's someone else's burden, but it shows up in writing because you're trying to set this thing free with all this messaging that you've been carrying around since you were probably pretty little of someone saying, we don't do that, you know? So there's just a lot to navigate. And those are just a few of the many things that I think kind of sit upon our chests sometimes as we're trying to think about putting our work out into the world. And so it can be a lot of effort on the one hand, but I think more importantly than that, it, it takes a lot of courage. Yeah, yeah. And, and one of the things that came up in that presentation is that 
sometimes when you publish work, work, sometimes family members are supportive and other times they aren't. And, and right. that, and sometimes it's a fear that's in your head. And sometimes those fears in your head come true. And so it is, a, a, yeah, like the risk is real. <laughs> the risk is real. <laughs> Hashtag. Absolutely. Totally. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's not to be dismissed, you know, it's really to figure out how do you grapple with it and how do you work with it, you know, dance with it, not let it be something that stops you from being a creative force in the world. You know, that, that's something I think that women contend with also a lot more, you know, is like, am I going to hurt someone? Am I going to risk something in order to have my voice heard? And, and sometimes it can feel too selfish. You know, and th these are things that I think are just a constant negotiation with women writers. And to your point, even just putting things out for your business or on social media, I have felt terrified just sharing my opinions about things from time to time about, you know, be it politics or, you know, what happened at the Oscars or, you know, right. anything, because we're living in this kind of hyper agitated culture where even just saying, this is how I feel, or this is what I think can be met by attacks. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, when, when we talk about hurting people, you know, I, I work, one-on-one -on -one with clients. And one of the things I talk to my clients is like, that is unavoidable. Mm -hmm. We are human beings. We are going to hurt people, you know, hopefully not on purpose. I mean, obviously, probably it's going to happen that we're going to do it on purpose sometime. We're going to say, you know, say something in the heat of the moment and hurt somebody. But but even if we are thoughtful and kind and ethical, people, people are going to get hurt. And, and when it is a story or a family story or a personal story, it's like, there are both sides, right? Like, and of course, you get to say as much as you want to and, you know, <laughs> put details in or leave details out. But it's like, there's both sides, like who's getting hurt by you telling the story, who's getting hurt by you not telling right. the story. And, and to look at it from all sides while you're yeah. in that. Yeah. I mean, that's a very process. wise framing, I think, because there's a lot of questions that come forth about women's silence, you know, and to your point about patriarchy, who is hurt by our silence is us, you know, who is kept down by our silence is us. Um, you know, there's, I, I'm not going to be able to remember the Audrey Lourdes quote that I have in the book exactly that is about, um, you know, that at some point it becomes less bearable to hold in the story than to tell it is in essence the the quote you know and it's it's absolutely true it's silence is is very toxic and so i do think that's why memoir is so inherently healing for people even though it's usually also a very terrifying journey mm -hmm. yeah and i think about like anne lamont's books who you know, her, you know, operating instructions, which is her book about the first year of her son's life <laughs> and her unabashed honesty about her anxiety and the thoughts that ran through her head. And she says things in that book, like, I understand child abuse now, <laughs> like, mm -hmm. I'm not going to do it. I'm choosing not to do it, but I understand the impulse when my baby has been screaming for, you know, a hundred hours in a row or things like, I really just hope I can find a nice boyfriend and feel better. Like she's uh -huh. just so, <laughs> so honest. She's so honest. And I remember reading that book and just feeling less alone feeling, you know, when I have anxious thoughts or negative thoughts or, you know, just want 
to find a partner so that that person can save me or, you know, all of these things that she was sharing in the book, it just made me feel less broken uh -huh. and less fucked up. <laughs> and, and yeah, it was a deeply healing experience. And I'm sure she could have talked herself out of writing that book. You know? Oh, yeah. I mean, I think anyone can. And, and I think it's very gratifying for people who write memoir to hear something like that. I think it's often the purpose is to help another person feel less fucked up. You know, like you, when you're sharing so brutally, honestly about things that really run the risk of people attacking you just for having a thought, I think that's when you know that you are being courageous because those are the things that a lot of people have those thoughts and, and don't dare to say them out loud. You know, I, I see that a lot in memoir, you know, we have a lot of thoughts and there are a lot of cultural policing of what we're allowed to say. And, and that's a problem, you know? So, and I think that's why so much of the bravery around writing and, and women's writing in particular, you know, is like saying the unsaid thing. Yeah. Yeah. And this hits like, you know, this impacts books, but it, it, you know, it's reminding me of like the television industry and movies and like, um, I remember an interview, I think it was with, oh God, I'm going to forget, but, um, the person who plays Meredith in Shonda Rhimes. Oh gosh, I wish show. I knew. <laughs> yeah. Anyways. Um, uh, but but they were saying that in the opening scene of the show that I can't believe I can't remember what the show is called. Um, it, it'll come back to me at some point. So keep listening to the interview to hear what show I'm actually talking about. But the the main character, you know, sleeps with this other doctor has a one night stand and then they run into each other at work and she's a like a med student intern doctor and then he's the one of the main doctors and that they had to fight to keep that scene in that somebody mm -hmm. from the station or, or I don't know how this all, I don't know how TV works but so one of the high up people had said like oh it's going to make her unlikable or she's going to seem like sullied or something that she has a one night stand, you know, and, 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 and she's whatever she, I think she's grieving and she's going through some shit and, right. and they tried to take that out and she stood there, her ground and Shonda Rhine stood their ground and, oh, it's Grey's Anatomy. That's the TV show. <laughs> there you go. Okay. Well <laughs> I knew it would come. And, and, you know, this has become such an iconic television show i think because in some ways women and people of color and 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 all of the and trans people like uh, they've addressed all these issues on this mm -hmm. show and they're painting these people as people who are flawed and who are horny and who are <laughs> you know who are humans and so so many of us who are not you know represented in a lot of television shows and and obviously it's getting better now in 2022 but you know like i think about the the disney movies i watched as a kid and it was like this one story of like if you're a woman or if you're a girl then you have to be focused on finding love and never think about your career or the only woman that thought about her career was cruella Deville. <laughs> the only creative, artistic, entrepreneurial female character was this evil Dalmatian killer. <laughs> and so I think, you know, it, it impacts every industry, but it, but that kind of brings home the importance. And I think what I want to say to anyone listening is if you have a story in your heart that you want to tell, you know, I'm not tell, I'm not saying tell a story that you don't want to tell. If you don't want to tell it, it's your, have that boundary, have that privacy. But if there's something in you that, that wants to come out, 
this is your permission slip or this is your encouragement that that the world maybe needs your story. Yeah, love it. Absolutely. So I, I think in the workshop, you talked about like dangerous first drafts or like, <laughs> I can't remember the exact. Yeah, the, da the danger draft. The danger draft. Can you explain that to, to folks? Well, that's actually um, Josh Moore, who's a friend of mine and a, a memoirist, um, taught a class for us and he teaches a lot of memoir. Um, and he, that's his term. I love it. You know, the danger draft, which is basically like, just get it all out because you can decide later what you want to remove. If there's something in the danger draft that is too hot to touch, then you are your own editor and that can come out and it doesn't have to see the light of day. But the, the important thing about the concept is how to give yourself permission to take risks. Because I, one of the other problems, of course, of writing is that we self-censor. Mm -hmm. And, and self-censoring is, first of all, very creatively stifling. And it yeah. really plays into all the stuff that we're talking about, right? It's like saying, well, I'm afraid of this. I'm afraid of this. So I'll just write very carefully. And writing carefully is just not the way that you're going to have a powerful personal narrative, whether that's a memoir or anything else. You know, it's the brave coming forth and saying, this is my truth that we're looking at. And that's why it's so scary. And so I think for people who like that concept, as I do, the, the danger draft is a great way to think about it because you have control over it. Yeah. And that can, again, that can be applied to short pieces or long mm -hmm. pieces, but to just get it all out. And if you were to say it uncensored, if you were going to tell this story to your best friend. In, right. You know, in, and it's in that idea of like, right, like nobody's listening initially. I mean, a lot of people are trying to write for an audience and I certainly understand that. But there are some things, yeah, that should be written with such intimacy, the kinds of things that you might never say to someone. And sometimes I'll hear memoirists say stuff like that, like, well, I had never told anyone this, you know, these were all things that I had never shared with close family. So you're putting it into a book for public consumption, ostensibly, and you've never said it out loud. And it seems almost like oxymoronic, you know, like it shouldn't be the case that that is true, but it is, I, I think about people who are like very comfortable on stage, even when they're introverts, you yeah. know, that, that kind of phenomenon, right. Of that sometimes it's easier. It's almost more anonymous to do something in a public way than it is, you know, in this very intimate way. And I think, as you were saying, I loved earlier, what you said, the permission, you know, just giving yourself permission to have that bigger container for your voice and your message. And then you, you get to pause, you know, before you hit publish <laughs> and say, is yes. there something critical that needs to be removed, but don't do that out the gate. Right. The first draft to just get it out there and then, and then to be more thoughtful and then to think, you know, yeah, what do I want to leave in? What do I want to take out? Is there a person in this story that I want to show it to before it goes to publish or not. Right. Like, right. Exactly. Like you have total control of how you do it. And, and, you know, it, it, it's so interesting because there are so many parallels with the work I do with clients, which mostly is not about writing, but it's kind of, it's about boundaries, right. And boundaries, right most of my clients are folks who are socialized as women and we're doing a lot of boundaries work with family <laughs> members and some of my clients decide to have you know incredibly tall fence boundaries where it's like no contact or very little contact and some of my clients you know decide to um have you know walls that have windows and doors to walk mm -hmm. through and and you know where it's right. still it's still a boundary but it's not a total total fence only and 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 that depends on a bunch of things it depends on you know obviously the circumstance and what happened when you were growing up and but then it's also up to you and just what you want and what stage of your life 
you're in. And, and I think it's the same when you are writing something that maybe involves other people. It's like, you get to decide, maybe you just do have an iron fence and you don't tell anybody anything and, and you just publish because that's what's right for you. And you need to stand up for yourself, you know, in this. And this, yeah. this is important, or maybe there are certain people that you want to let in on the process beforehand. Right. I love all of that. Yeah. And, and you get to decide, you know, I mean, that's the important part. So I think it's, it's hugely important to think about it in that way that you create the boundaries and those boundaries might shift as time moves on. You know, that's another thing that I think is really good. It's like, you think of it as like concentric circles in a sense, you know, the first boundary might be no one gets to read it. Right. right? And then later you might let one person in a trusted person. And then later, you know, so that, that can be helpful as well, kind of buffering yourself. And there's no shoulds in this process. You don't have to out yourself. You don't, however you want to treat your own creative process is the appropriate way to do it, but it might shift and morph over time. And it should, I mean, in part, because also you're going to get more comfortable with your own process. And the more you put yourself out there publicly, the easier it is you find, you know, you're more comfortable in your own skin. So I think also thinking about it, like the writing is a journey, but the process part, you know, the journey part is also a journey of you sharing. Yeah, yeah, the sharing as a whole. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And I definitely have the experience just from someone who writes, you know, on social media of people not being happy with what I write <laughs> at times. And and it's been such a journey to talk. I call it like sticking the landing. Mm-hmm. Like, the times when I decide to take something down or amend something and the times when I decide to stick the landing, which in my mind is like, I'm going to stand up for this, or I'm going to, I'm going to stand behind what I said, even though somebody or multiple people (laughs) are upset about it. And, and, and the times when no one is upset, but someone comments something nice on the post and I delete it because mm-hmm. like sometimes there are stories that are not ready that I've shared that I'm not ready to share and people aren't even being unkind, <laughs> but it's just like, I'm getting super agitated that someone wrote anything, <laughs> right? even something benign. And I mean, uh, social media is such a, a, a fast call and response and it's easier to, you know, change like change course like once you publish a book it's like well you can't really unpublish it i mean you can you can not promote it and then not that many people are going to see it but (laughs) obviously that's like so much work to to go to that but it's like you're almost doing that within the the writing process right Um, yeah absolutely and i love i love what you're saying about the revising and being in control to some extent, you know, I mean, there's, it's a little bit of a dangerous prospect. Like sometimes when you post something, let's say you write something that's on a different platform. Um, you don't always have control to be able to delete comments for instance, and you may not want to, depending on the kind of dialogue you're trying to instill, but if it's about you or if someone is being mean spirited and your own Facebook feed or Instagram or whatever, of course you can. Right. And, and I think that's very empowering on the one hand. And then I think the power of revision, like you said, I mean, you might decide that you put something out there that you want to slightly change or revise or think about differently. And I think that's also courageous. The exchange is courageous because if your mind is being changed as a result of a conversation that you're having, then you're growing. Right. So that's another thing. So it depends on what you're writing, you know, but a lot of times the things that I'll put into social media that are more sort of like cultural uh, observations, right. About things that are happening with people and ideas, you know, if a thought exchange should have a little bit of agitation in it, you know, otherwise Mm -hmm. it's pretty boring, you know, and we're just being like, Oh yeah, you know, we all agree about everything that's being said here. And I think we are in a place 
culturally and collectively that, you know, there's a lot of agitation and hopefully as a result, a lot of growth. Yeah. And I, I, someone said this on a, you know, this was like a group therapy thing. So not, not the same thing, <laughs> but I, I think it applies is that, you know, there was a, an incident of something that had happened in the group that was polarizing. And so, and it was, you knew some people were on one side and some people were on the other, even before we went into the discussion. And one person said that was so beautiful is that you and I may disagree, but I refuse to lose sight of your humanity. Mm-hmm. And like, I'm like tearing up a little bit just saying it because I thought that was such a beautiful way to come into the discussion was that, yeah, we might, we might, we might end this process and still completely disagree on the topic, but I am not going to demonize you because we have different, you know, political views or whatever. Absolutely. I love that. And I think that's the important part. Yeah. I mean, humanity, right. I mean, dignity, we're just, we're living in a culture where too often there's a lot of permission to dismiss that Mm -hmm. and it's terrifying. I mean, I think that's one of the worst things that we're seeing culturally right now is just the way that people go after each other. And it is, it does bring me back to what I said at the beginning, you know, about, and this is certainly happening to men, but it does happen with women in their writing that women will share something about themselves that is vulnerable and true and scary. And people will come after them and say, you know, you're a terrible person or like the Annie Lamont thing that you shared earlier, you know, where she might say, I can now, you know, understand the impulse of child abuse and someone, instead of just taking that as a thought experiment, which is what it was of sort of amusing of things would say, you're a terrible mother. You know, I, I see that all the time with women when they share their just thinking about things and people then extrapolate and kind of take it to the next level. And that is very toxic. You know, that's, that's just a toxic exchange. And I, and I think it can be difficult and sometimes take a lot of practice for people to disengage from that kind of rhetoric, you know, because it's just, sometimes people are just coming after you because they have their own stuff to deal with. Totally. Totally. Yeah. And I think that for me is the difference of when you block somebody or when you have a a discussion with them, right? Right. In our our personal platforms, it's like, if we're seeing each other's humanity and we're disagreeing, great. You know, if we're that, that I think, you know, I do want to learn and grow and, and change my mind sometimes. (laughs) Um, But when it is, a vitriol it's like yeah totally you if it's on your platform fucking block that person <laughs> and and if it's not like energetically block them right if it is like whatever a new york times book review or whatever like that that is vitriolic <laughs> it's like I, I i mean i i think it's hard to do and it's hard to just say that but but to not to not as much as you can to not take that into your heart because because it because it is it's not coming from a place of humanity and discourse yeah. and and critical thinking and discussion absolutely absolutely we have to protect ourselves you know and that's that's the number one thing and so that's why i said earlier it's 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 a dance you know because it's like you also have to be courageous and you also have to not be silenced by these people, you know, because sometimes that level of vitriol is really just an attempt to silence you. Totally. Um, That's exactly what it is. Yeah. Yeah. And, And I see that a lot. You know, I mean, I have had clients who, you know, authors that I've worked with who are writing things, you know, that are sensitive materials, you know, that people are just coming after them. But like I was saying earlier, I had this happen recently where someone posted something, I think it was on Huffington Post, and she got so many positive comments in her favor on the post. And then there were like two or three trolls, basically, just being jerks. And, And she was 
perseverating over those few comments, right? So I was trying to get her to say like, well, look, there are all these other ones that it's human nature to take the negative comments as evidence that we somehow shouldn't be doing what we're doing. And we have to be really mindful of that. Right. Right. When there's 82 positive and <laughs> two negative. Yeah. And that, and you know, that's the human brain, right? Where our brains evolved at, at yes. there's a negativity bias, right. That was protective 40,000 years ago when our brains were formed that, that was there to always yeah. be on, on the watch for a lion or a poisonous berry or something that could kill you that still exists today, even though the ne- the two negative comments are right. not are not going to hurt you. Your brain is more focused on them because they see them as a source of danger. So we have to actively actually kind of build that muscle of remembering the positive. Yes. comments so so in some ways it's human nature to do that but also yeah we can conscious like the brain is also plastic it's also changeable Mm -hmm. we can we can develop a habit of focusing absolutely and and we have to you know we have to because we this i think this is kind of the the point of the work you know is it, it matters, you know, what we have to say matters. Our voices really matter. We need to raise our voices and and say what's true. And this, if you're going to do that, if you're going to put yourself out there in the world, you are going to be met with resistance sometimes. And, and, but it's, it, it truly is growth because I know for myself, 10 years ago, the experience that I would have of putting myself out there and getting negative feedback versus how I feel about it today is vastly different because I've gone through it and I, I know better how to deflect and also how not to care. Uh, but that's only because I've done it. It, it really is a muscle. Um, but when you're new to it and you start getting all of these you know, feedback and people not liking this, that, or the other, it it can feel like really disproportionately huge when it's just one person. And so that is something that, and again, you know, to speak to women in particular, we're socialized to want people to like us, you know, it just is like, that is part of being a woman, you know, that you are supposed to be nice and good and, you know, kind and likable and blah, blah, blah. And so then this is uh, something else to overcome. You don't have to be likable to everyone and you're not going to be to everyone. It's impossible. It's impossible. And it's really empowering to get to that place where you can say, okay, yeah, that frees me up to be able to say some of the things that I want to say, you know, kind of going back to that earlier conversation we were having. Yeah. And I think one of the things I'm getting from this conversation is like, if you are a creative person and you're in a creative pursuit of any kind, it could be visual art, it could be writing, it could be, you know, producing films or whatever, <laughs> to, to think about what is this, you know, obviously what's your heart's desire and where's the impulse to create coming from and what, what wants to be born through you and what is the impact on the culture? What is the impact on the patriarchy and the white supremacy and the, you know, this ableist homophobic Uh world that we live in and, and, and how is that going to impact that? Because I think, you know, even when I think about my own memoir, my own writing and my fears about it, it's very personal, right? Mm-hmm. The fears. And when I think about the, the impact at large on, on culture or on the patriarchy, it, it's just a totally different lens. And that doesn't mean that I completely disregard my personal thoughts and fears about it like but but to bring in both because I think it can be really easy to think what's the one person or the two people who are going to be really mad at me versus (laughs) how are you know like to take the Anne Lamont example who are the thousands of people that are going to be helped and healed right by that right yeah absolutely it's it's tough and 
that is, like I said, I just think that is a practice, you know, to, to try to look at what kind of feedback we're given by other people and then to isolate that one single voice or that one single person and just be like, they are not that powerful. Cause I just see people getting paralyzed and stopped and, you know, all kinds of, uh, like looking for evidence, you know, for reasons not to keep going. And sometimes you're just get you're turning your power over to someone. So got to be careful. Yeah. And I think if you were socialized as a woman, it's like, yeah, it is kind of totally natural to be, want to be nice and likable and all of those qualities you were talking about. And so you are fighting against your socialization and yeah. to acknowledge that that is that's a process and it's difficult and it's courageous and it's doable too you know it's it's possible we have all these examples of people who have done it and it so i'm reading um nelson mandela's memoir right now i'm obsessed with memoir which is part of the reason i wanted to have you on oh good i'm glad um it's like my favorite genre to read so i'm reading his memoir which is incredible by the way so well written so easy to read it's like this it's like so thick that i like bought it and then just put it on my shelf and i was like oh it's gonna be you know so hard to get through this book but it's like a very easy read and i mean that story is such an incredible story of you know him and and the people he worked with being brave and risking you know risking being seen as bad people and also risking their lives right too and it was obviously an extreme situation where it was like i can go along with this system where i literally am a second class citizen and i don't get to vote and I, you know, I'm treated as a child in a lot of ways, or I can stand up and fight. And, and I, I mean, it, and, and it's a dramatic parallel to make, but I don't think it's completely unfair. I mean, obviously, in, in America and in Canada, where I am, it's like, women have so many more rights than, than black people did in South Africa at that time. You know, it's mm -hmm. like, <laughs> it, I, I'm not trying to say that the, the, the extremes are the same, but, the, but the, the act of standing up against injustice and telling the truth, mm -hmm. there, there is a parallel, I think, to be made. And, and because he and many others were willing to risk being unlikable and also risking their lives. There was a change. There was yeah, an incredible well, I, change. Yeah. That of course I'm sure still has issues today and is not perfect and you know. Well, and that was really the foundation of that that talk that you came, you know, the idea of women writing memoir and then out of that we started teaching a feminist foundations memoir class, which to me was exactly what you're talking about, because I mean, again, it's a parallel, which is that these early memoirists, and we only chose a handful of them. We chose Maya Angelou and Virginia Woolf, um, Erica Jong and Maxine Hong Kingston, but there are many, many others, you know, who wrote these early memoirs women writers who took these risks, you know, whether it was Virginia Woolf a hundred years ago or uh, Maya Angelou in the 1960s and open the door for women writers to be able to tell their truths in the same way. Right. I mean, and so uh, like to your point, it's totally not as extreme as what we're talking about with Nelson, Nelson Mandela and people's lives necessarily on the line, but there is something incredibly 
palpable about the permission for women to tell their stories and, and how it changes culture, because it does change culture, right? I mean, it's like our stories and being able to say, these are how we think about things and this is our lived experience. It gives more range of experience and, and also understanding that women's lives are not this little boxed in thing that have to look a certain way. And because men have been writing and having their full range of expression for centuries, you know, and so it's only just in the last hundred years that women are truly being seen as not just this little microcosm, you know, of personal experience, you know, that it's so much bigger. So, so I do think it's an important parallel in what we're really talking about. It's circling all these things of truth, power, courage, and, and each one of us has to harness those things for ourselves and believe that we also have the right to exercise all of those things, you know, truth, power, courage, and that it's not for other people. It's for us. Yeah. And the power of story, you know, even thinking to the, to the South Africa and apartheid and the power of story and part of what, you know, allowed apartheid to continue was were certain stories that, you know, black people are dumber or not as cultured or, and, and trying to keep, you know, groups of people apart so that you, you didn't, so that a white person didn't befriend a black person and learn the full right. humanity of that person. <laughs> um, and, and again, obviously it's, it's, such an, an, an extreme and luckily we're not in that place <laughs> with the patriarchy yeah. at least in in you know north america i, I don't know i'm not going to speak to the whole say that for the whole world because i'm not sure that's true but that that part of of what the work that mandela was doing was I, we have to change the story. Mm -hmm. We have to change what people believe. And so when we are thinking about moving the, 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 the world that we're in now into a more equitable place, a sto storytelling is a part of that. It's an, an, an essential ingredient. And Absolutely. so if, yeah, if you have it in your heart that you want to, you know, you're doing it for yourself, but you're doing it for all of us. <laughs> yeah, a hundred percent. I love that. Yeah. So um, if people are intrigued by you or if they're writing a book and they're curious about working with you, I mean, I want to give you space if you have any final thoughts on this topic, which I know is like humongous. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's really at the heart of so much of what I think about, you know, so I, I mentioned my book right on sisters, which I think covers a lot of these topics for women writers. Um, if people are interested in starting there at a very low entry point, you know, right, um, right. And, and then from there, I teach a lot of memoir classes, right? So the thing that you attended was a free event. I do tons of free things that oftentimes are funneling into paid classes, right? Mm -hmm, like mm -hmm. they might be a, a craft class or it might be like we did that class called women writing memoir after that, you know, that was a six week class. And then I teach six month classes. So I have lots of different points of entry, just kind of depending on where people are at um, and trying to offer a lot of different price points too, so that, you know, some things are super cheap and free and some things are more expensive. Um, but yeah, for people who are interested, um, my website is brookwarner.com and I do one-on-one -on -one coaching and I have a publishing company. So I just have a lot of different things going on, but I, I think it's relatively explained on my site. So I invite people to come check it out. Yeah. And since you are obviously a podcast listener, because you're listening to this podcast, uh, Brooke, why don't you tell them about your podcast? Oh, thank you. Yeah, I have a writing podcast, <laughs> no surprise, um, <laughs> called Right Minded. And we do weekly interviews of writers and authors. Um, and so the tagline is weekly inspiration for writers. So for those of you out there who are writing and just are interested in 
all kinds of things. When we talk about craft and sometimes we talk about things like self-sabotage and process. And, um, you know, sometimes we interview industry professionals as well, thinking about books and writing and reading. So anything about books and book culture uh, is stuff that I'm interested in. So thank yeah. you. Yeah. Yeah. So check that out. And, and, you know, even if you are creative who and you're not a writer, you're not writing a memoir. It's like, I find, I draw so much inspiration from like learning about, you know, I love um, the song Exploder podcast, which is all about people writing songs and how that happens. And so, you know, um, I encourage people to just check out the podcast and see if it resonates, even if you're a different kind of creative, because sometimes it, there are so many universal truths, I think, when it comes to creative expression. Absolutely. And I, I think we do have a lot of listeners, um, you know, who are not necessarily writers because it's just as the conversation that we're having today is certainly speaks to writers, but not necessarily. I mean, when we're talking about truth and personal power, that's just in your everyday interactions with people, right? Just being, being a more sure footed person who can say what's on their mind and who's not afraid to have conversations. That's just a, a way of living in the world that I think is more meaningful. Totally. Well, thank you so much for coming on and, and sharing your wisdom. This was such a cool conversation. I didn't know exactly where it was going to go, but I love I love where we ended up. So thank you. Thanks for having me, Bryn. I so appreciate it. Okay, bye everybody. Talk to you soon. If you resonated with this episode, I wanna offer you a free private one hour consultation with me. Through doing the deep inner work, my clients have been able to do things like quit the job they hate and land a job they love or get their first paying clients in their dream business. And if they're a little bit further down the road, double their revenue. They've been able to fall in love and go to bed each night feeling satisfied and accomplished. In the consultation, we'll talk about what your dream looks like, what's getting in the way, and whether working together can help. Email me at Bryn at BrynBamber.com to book.